I guess it's been about 10 years now since my mother and father gathered around them the pieces of the family that were present at the time. We were up at Windsor Hills Camp and um, they realized all of a sudden that um, they had various grandchildren present with them during that week. Some of those grandchildren had parents who's, who were not walking with Christ. And they realized that those particular grandchildren specifically would never have heard their conversion stories. Okay, so my mother and father, their pastor had given them a homework assignment and required them to write out their testimony with a view towards sharing it with their family. Sound familiar? And um, so they wrote that out and they used that opportunity, we were talking together, they used that opportunity to gather the whole family together in a room and they sat down and each of them did pretty much what you heard today. They just read what they had prepared to say. They read their story to the children and grandchildren that were there. I was surprised at how powerful that experience was for me because I had known about my parents' faith all my life. I had grown up in a Christian home, but to hear them talk about the influences that led them to where they were and to hear them describe the story and how they were feeling at the time, it was a powerful moment and I realized that some of the grandchildren there had never heard that story before. You see, we make assumptions in our head that everybody knows that kind of stuff, but it just ain't true. Everybody doesn't know that stuff. And unless we tell them, they're not going to know. And so in many ways, this is preparation for the more important telling of your story, which is to your family and to your neighbors, right? And I have to tell you, there haven't been a lot of people who have completed their homework assignment and handed them in to me yet. And I just want to raise a point of ethics. I don't think you can ask your children to do their school homework if you won't do your homework. Just, just saying. And, and, and you have that assignment now, so I would, I would expect to see them. Next week, a friend of ours, uh, Mark, is going to share his story. And I'm looking forward to hearing that, but I would like to receive a few more. And as I said, if you're a little nervous about sharing that story in this setting, we understand that. We will get someone to read your story for you just so that you know that this is really just rehearsal for when you share this with your family, your neighbors, and we can't read that one for you, right? That's gotta be your story from your lips because, because this is the announcement that the kingdom of God has come. Do you understand? This is how we announce that the kingdom of God has come. It's that important. You heard the last several weeks that we've been saying that when it comes to our Christian lives, worship is word one. We celebrate the goodness of God. We worship him for who he is. Everything that happens in our Christian life flows from worship. When you ask what a Christian life is supposed to look like, you always start with worship. That worship happens personally, day by day. And it happens in the context of a community through the week, and especially on Sundays. The second word that ought to define what a Christian 
a Christian's life should look like is training. Now, now I'm not sure training is exactly the best word, but it's, it's sort of a summarizing word for a big sentence, and I didn't know how else to summarize it. The word training is code for Christians are called to live faithfully in a network of relationships in the community of faith and beyond. Let me say that again. Christians are called to live faithfully in a network of relationships in the community of faith and beyond. Living faithfully in relationships isn't something that we do very well all the time, and in some cases and in some particular relationships, we don't know how to do it at all. And so there's a level of training that is needed for us to understand the goal and a level of training required for us to do the thing that we're supposed to be doing. You say, why is this important? Well, I think you have to get a big picture view to put the pieces together. I mean, this isn't rocket science at all. It just takes a little bit of time to get the groundwork in place and then weave the scriptures together. And when I talk like this, I'm not citing any particular scholar or author when I'm talking about this concept. It seems like eight different authors I read this summer talked about exactly the same thing. And it comes together exactly like this. Our creator God, from the very beginning, was making covenants with us. From the moment we melted down in the garden, God's plan was to make the broken whole again, to restore what was broken. He had planned on how to do that before he even created us. But the plan launched when we melted down. And slowly over time, God selected a people to demonstrate his goodness and his compassionate caring. He made promises to Abraham. You remember the story. He promised to give Abram descendants, a land, and to bless all nations of the world through him. And Abraham just simply had to go where God called him. He fulfilled those promises through Moses and Joshua. He gave the law through Moses so that the, so that the people he rescued and reserved for his glory could understand how to live peacefully, securely, and in health. We all know that the experiment with Israel did not work out so well. Even within Israel's rebellion, however, God was faithful to his promises. When Israel demanded a king, God relented, and eventually, through David's line, made another new covenant, a promise to provide a descendant who would further the work of the kingdom of God in a new way. To David, God promises an eternal throne, an eternal kingdom, one that is fulfilled in Jesus, who is David's descendant and who sits on the throne of heaven. But as you know, Israel is hell-bent on defying God and rebellion. They are, as a nation, taken away into exile. The prophets announce a new covenant on the horizon. Isaiah 43, 19. 
Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What is this new covenant the prophet is talking about? It's the covenant sealed in the blood of Jesus. By the sacrifice of Jesus and by his blood, we may enter the kingdom of God and live as citizens of that kingdom now, today. If you're having trouble putting this all together, the author of Hebrews does it perfectly for us. This is Hebrews 8, 7 and following. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, quote, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then the author summarizes in verse 13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete is outdated and will soon disappear. This new covenant describes the giving of the Holy Spirit, which comes as our token of our entry into the kingdom of God. God, by his spirit, moves right into our interior parts to help us live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven right now. I mean, this would be a great place for me to stop and talk about what we need to do to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. By what, but what I want to make careful that you understand this morning is I don't want you to think that you've been invited into the kingdom of God only for the purpose of being saved. Yes, God wants to save you and every person on the planet, but his goal is much larger than that. God is creating a workforce to help him restore all that was lost. He's creating a new Israel, one person at a time, so that together we can represent him to the world so that the world can be drawn by the attractive love of Jesus Christ and so that the whole creation can be redeemed. I don't know how to shout this loudly enough. God wants to use you to save and redeem the world. That's God's mission. That's the purpose. When the apostle tells us that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, that's what it means. When we are told that we are God's ambassadors, that's what it means. When we're told to live by the Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh, that's what it means. All of those things are all caught up in this idea that we 
We have been purposed by God to help him redeem and restore everything that is broken, everything that is lost, everything that no longer measures up to his ideal of creation. I mean, when he created us and looked at us and said, it's very good, he was seeing something. And when he looks at the world today, he doesn't see the same thing anymore, and he wants to see what he first saw again. And so that perfectly reflected in heaven, but we've been called to begin living in the kingdom of heaven now, today. It's not like, whew, I'll be so glad when I finally get to heaven and I can live the way I really want to live. Forget that. He wants you to live in the kingdom right now. That's what it means to step into the kingdom of God. We've already stepped into the kingdom of heaven by the virtue of our new birth and this new covenant. And we have to live now today in the way that Jesus lived, loving others, caring for others, so that the world can understand how this kingdom is designed to work. And so they will be interested in stepping into the kingdom themselves. That's why we demonstrate the kingdom by our lives and we announce the kingdom by our story and trust that God will build the kingdom. What does he say? If I be lifted up, I will draw all mankind to myself. And lifting up Jesus is about announcing the kingdom and demonstrating the kingdom. It's our job. That's who we are. That is God's method for restoring everything. He uses his people as examples of what heaven will be like and then invites people to join him in this new kingdom under his management. Do you see why it is such an utter catastrophe when Christians do not live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven? If we do not model the life of heaven, no one is attracted to Jesus, and the restoration process of Christ is injured. You can't ultimately frustrate the ministry of Christ, but you can injure it. So somehow, it is important, very important, for us to take seriously this notion that it is my job to express the kingdom of heaven. How are you gonna do that? I think it takes some training. I think it takes some training. Granted, the stage is set by the Holy Spirit in you. This is not possible without the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you. But we must cooperate with the grace we are given and we must seize the opportunities that come our way. But at some level, there is some training needed to live peacefully with others in the kingdom of God. Really? Well, yeah. Let, let's be honest. Um, how well are we all doing at that? How well has the church in general done at that? I can, remember, I can remember being told that one of the reasons we work together on projects in the church is because when we work together, we inevitably, inevitably bump into each other. 
and we get hit by elbows and stuff like that and, and God has to kind of knock the rough edges off of us and, and you do that by sort of working and serving together that, that service is a part of the crucible of all this. But I wonder um, how we're ever going to learn to get along with other people if we isolate ourselves in our homes. How are you ever going to become more like Christ if you avoid the crucible of relationships and service and life experiences together? I've come to the belief that a small group, a small group ministry is critically important to this. A place where I can have friends who are willing to talk to me about my life and my relationship with God and my relationship with others where I can be more honest. Because it's easier to be honest with a group of three or four friends than it is to be with like the whole congregation on a Sunday morning. And I can talk more appropriately in a small circle of friends. And let's face it, Sunday morning is mostly a monologue and you're stuck listening to me week after week, which has got to be a little dry. But you have the opportunity to meet with one another and talk more intimately about this amazing ministry that God has given you and about the, the opportunities you have in relationship with others to announce and demonstrate the kingdom of God. And so I think, I think small groups is one of the primary training methods for this. A Sunday school class or a Bible study. However, however you get that intimate kind of accountability and growth conversation in your life because one of the main objectives to demonstrating the kingdom is learning to get along with one another. I don't really have to quote the scripture. It's already in your mind already before I speak it, right? The, the evidence of this particular point that learning to get along with one another is the primary evidence of our Christian faith. You almost can... Uh, recite the scripture back to me before I say it, they'll know you are Christians by your love, right? You are, that was already in your mind. You, you knew that this was true. Of course, this training originates in worship, in our interactions with God, and then in our interactions with those who share our Christian faith together, fellow members of the kingdom of heaven. But, but this training has to express itself in our homes, with our spouses, with our children, and with our neighbors. It will have to extend to our workplaces and to the places where we play. And, and over the next few weeks, I want to be talking a good bit about the content of this training. Just to be clear, what are we training to be? We're training to be the visible expression of Christ in the world. Christ for the world. That's what we're training to be. And I'm curious this morning, um, how is that going for you? How do you feel about your progress in that training enterprise? If someone said to you, uh, what is your workout routine? 
you might have a strategy to relate. You might say, I do this, I do that. But if they said to you, what kind of training do you embrace in order to become more like Christ, you would say, I'm curious to know what you would say. It's my hope that when you considered who we are in Christ, some of the themes in this standard song that we sing many weeks would come to mind. That we would be marked by forgiveness. That mercy would be our strong suit. That we'd be men and women who pursued God and that folks would see in us the reflection of the image of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, by your spirit, make us to be the people you call us to be. Give us a holy boldness, born not of our own personality, but born of your spirit. Shape us according to your will. And re-gift us to one another that together we can reflect the image of God to our community. We pray this in your name.